Bloody Elbow presents the Show Money Podcast, the podcast covering the business side of combat sports in depth and provides continuous reporting on the antitrust suits the UFC is battling. The crew features Paul Gift, the economist, Jason Cruz, the lawyer, and John S. Nash, Bloody Elbow's chief financial columnist. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your experts. Cigar Page put together a great offering special for our readers. 60 G's, baby. The team at Bloody Elbow had some laughs thinking about those old school UFC fight bonuses and how far some of those early fighters have come. The 60 G's baby deal from Cigar Page is five 90 plus rated cigars and a travel humidor. This is a value of $90 that Cigar Page is offering Bloody Elbow readers for $25. While that cigar culture is alive and well in the MMA community, it may not be your thing, and it also makes an awesome gift for the holidays. You can grab this deal today at cigarpage.com slash 60gsbaby. That's cigarpage.com 60gsbaby. Welcome to Show Money, the only show exclusively dedicated to the business of mixed martial arts. I'm Paul Gift, the economist. With me, as always, we've got Jason Cruz, our lawyer. We've got John Nash, the man who knows everyone and everything in MMA. We'll put some of that to the test today. We're recording on Sunday, December 10th, and hopefully this will get out soon. Um, On tap for today, we're basically giving you uh, an update on where the UFC antitrust lawsuit is at, and also some things that have come out of that recently. Uh, Some information on fighter pay, some information on owner distributions. Uh, What else? Some uh, uh, Bellator finances, Bellator finances, and uh, then um, things like fighter negotiations, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then we'll we'll kind of round out the show with uh, since the last time we we uh, we had a show, uh, PFL officially bought Bellator. So we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, what's going on with the UFC antitrust lawsuit uh, a few weeks ago? I don't remember how long ago I was at a hearing where. Uh, the UFC was denied updated discovery. And so what's happening since then is that they're basically ramping up for trial come April 8th. Uh, and the UFC, mm, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, filed their summary motion for summary judgment, which is basically, Jason can explain it a little bit more in, in, in a second, but it's basically where you ask the judge to rule in your favor, basically saying we don't need a trial. Uh, there's no factual disputes uh, and and you can rule on the case as a matter of law. Uh, the plaintiffs recently filed their uh, their opposition to summary judgment, which is where some of this new stuff came from. And John and Anton over at Bloody Elbow have been all over that, putting some of that stuff out. So go check out some of their stuff at Bloody Elbow to, to read some of those articles. Um, and what happened most recently, we're recording this on Sunday, uh, uh, I believe it was Friday, the UFC, it wasn't really on the schedule, but the UFC uh, it filed motions to exclude uh, uh, 
basically three of the plaintiff's expert witnesses. They've already tried to do that at the class certification stage and it didn't work. And what they're saying now is that this is a merit, class certification was a lower standard. And now the judge needs to get into the merits of these experts' uh, 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 opinions. And, and the UFC is arguing that they don't have merit and they should be excluded. Uh, and so basically a trial is coming in April there are a couple things that could prevent that where the UFC could still win. Although based on this judge's rulings in the past, it, it seems pretty unlikely. Uh, but that's where we're at with the case. All right. And so I, I don't know where you guys want to start with this. Uh, if you want to start with just some of your takeaways from those filings or get into some of the things we've learned, like with uh, like with uh, uh, fighter pay or ownership distributions. What do you want to start with, Jason? Oh, so uh, just some, oh, so just some key uh, observations from the latest filings. First of all, as we've you um, as Bloody Elbow has revealed in these uh, emails and uh, texts and everything, like this has come out before. But a lot of the things were leaked and redacted, and you could see the liberal use of of redactions and sealing of documents because. And to be truthful to you, none of that stuff, maybe 90, 90% of the information that was sealed and redacted was bullshit. They, they probably could have just gone ahead and revealed that information previously, but they didn't because they, it was a strategic use of litigation, which is my observation. Secondly, um, I think for uh, the renewed, uh, the renewed uh, exclusions of the experts uh, by Zufa, I think this is obviously something that, that Zufa had to do, uh, at least for a couple reasons. One, um, they have to get, you know, again, uh, merits versus the merits of the matter versus Versus uh, the standard, the what they perceive, what you they uh, claim to be the standard of class action, which is less than what you have to when analyzing uh, the ex expert opinions at the time of potentially excluding them. So this is what they call a Daubert, uh, the Daubert test, which basically says uh, if this stuff is signed uh, is accepted uh, scientifically uh, by the greater community, then you can include these expert opinions. Now, we, we could get into the uh, meat of the, the opinions and things like that, but what, from what I just told you, you can uh, you could cut that, that uh, standard in a variety of ways. Now, obviously, Judge Boulware has allowed the expert opinions for, for the for the purpose of class action certification. Uh, now Zufa is going ahead and stating, well, you have to you have to look at it more more closely because this is more than that. It's what the scientific community thinks about the uh, the opinions of this particular expert. And based upon my um, litigation uh, practices and everything like that, the Dauber stuff, is <laughs> just made up bullshit too. It's made up. 
They just, if you can argue it uh, very succinctly and concisely and you could you could persuade a judge, it'll probably go in or it'll probably stay out. But basically that's what Daubert is. That's what it is. And people have written law reviews and analyzed this son of a bitch uh, upside down. But basically it's gonna be on whether or not Judge Boulware decides that it's okay. And that's that's hilarious uh, and also sad for, for for the legal community. But basically, that's what it is. You, I mean, there is no way uh, you could have anybody. You could have thousands of the greatest lawyers, uh, me not me excluded, uh, of to look at these uh, these uh, motions that there that Zufa and the lead plaintiffs will go ahead and and uh, submit. And you could have half the half the attorneys think one way and half the attorneys think the other way because it's all just subjective and it's whoever is the most artful litigator uh, uh, doing this. Now that's very jaded, I know it's very jaded, but that's an, that's a reason why why they're doing this. Also, another reason why they're doing this is they're preserving their their right to appeal because if uh, if they come back and appeal, they're going to ask why didn't you go ahead and ask ask the judge to go ahead and exclude these uh these uh these experts so very key because if the judge actually excludes one of these experts uh the plaintiff's case can be uh can be um hindered and and injured in some sort of way and they'd have to re-strategize re what to do especially if with singer uh and so that's that's what i have right now renewed motion for summary judgment similar thing uh you know uh, uh, just uh, it's basically how you how you argue these things. Uh, again, the information that was provided in these uh, in these um, exhibits of the attached to the motion for summary judgment, uh, and what will be attached to the opposition's the lead plaintiffs will also be interesting as well. So I hate to I hate to uh, uh, break it down to you guys like that. I know I've actually gotten several um, DMs from people like very concerned about this case. Like, don't worry, don't worry. People have it under control. So there you go. What are their concerns when they DM you? <laughs> so first of all, there's the one one woman who I think was it was John's John had DM them saying who the because they want to know who the lawyer was and she expressed very very concerns about I think it was about you Paul because you seem very down on the case and from whatever what she's read online about this antitrust case she was very concerned about your opinion wanted to make sure that you reread these things to uh, see if that could change your opinion and to which I said why are you asking me to ask him? <laughs> I don't want, why don't you ask him yourself? Anyway, secondly, uh, there's another guy who actually uh, who unfollowed me on Twitter, but or X, and came back to DM me because he wanted to, to talk to me about this situation. And, you know, he gave me his personal cell phone number. Like, he's not even an attorney, but he's talked to attorneys. It's like, listen, I don't need to talk to any more attorneys than I have to in my life. Um, come on. So, but he's, he's talked to an attorneys and he wants to know if we, I want to sit down at some point to discuss this case to which I said, no, why would I do that? Why would I do that out of my own will and free will and free time do that? Why? God. Nick, I've got a real job. This MMA hey. stuff is my side hustle. <laughs> Good Lord. What? Hey, you know, if you ever want to sit down and talk to me, Give me a call. Why? 
I don't want to talk about it. That's more work for me. Free. It needs to be like John and just bug the hell out of you until you uh, until you came. No. Uh, but so anyway, I, I digress. I, I I appreciate everyone's uh, concerns, but yes, the 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 case is going along. I gave you a little cynical uh, thing to work to to, uh, to to chew on, but also yes, uh, I mean I think that there are a lot of smart people acting on this case, and if you read it and make your own decisions. That's what you should do this best. And it's going to be up to maybe a handful of people to decide how this works out. So God bless. <laughs> Don't stop drinking for the holidays. Sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding if you have a problem. <laughs> well, that led into me a little bit there, but I'll share I'll share my view of kind of why I have that view of the case in a little bit. But let's jump to you, John. You know, there's been the summary judgment and the motion to exclude stuff recently. What, 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 what nice visual right there. I know. <laughs> hey, they don't, they don't want your. Thoughts. If you're just listening and wa- not watching, my John's cat, cat is, uh, is uh, mooning, mooning the us. camera. Yes. Yeah. She knows. She knows it's all garbage. That's her. She's making her own opinion known. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. I talked to, I have a couple, I guess, class action antitrust kind of not involved in the case, but kind of guys in the side that I was put in contact years ago that I every once in a while reach out and I haven't spoken to in a while, but one of them had a comment once about the law and Jason might agree with this based on his little rant there. And his whole point is when you go for a judge, the court, really the, the facts on these things don't really matter. What matters is you have a, 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 a a goal that you're trying to do, the judge, the court, whatever they're trying to accomplish, they have a goal. And what you want to do is you want to present something and give some fake evidence that you can find that says that this is the way you should be reading it. So they can go, yes, that's right. The thing I wanted to happen can happen because you found precedent in the past that says that that can happen. And that's all you're doing. You're trying to accomplish something by giving people the cover that they can go with ahead with what they already want to have happen. I don't know if that's true, but that's why I explained it. And it was so cynical. I said, oh, that's that's awesome. I love that. Well, so. I, I, I will tell you, and I'm not I'm not naming names, and this is anecdotal, but I went to law school with people who worked for judges. And basically, and again, this is anecdotal. You, I, I, I don't have names. They would tell you, they would tell me that the judge would tell the clerk, who does all the like basically the law, a lot of the law clerks, legal law clerks will write up the opinions and things like that. And basically they will tell the law clerk, this is what I have, how I want you to rule. Find, find a way to get that, get, get to that point. Jesus Christ. So what does that tell That's you? Scary. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That tells you they already have decided how they're going to rule. It's just, uh, it's just the law clerk's just job to find the way to get there. And the thing is, you got to you're working with smart people. They can find a way to get there. And again, yes, I know, I know, someone's gonna. Don't worry, it's 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 going to work out. It's going to work out. But again, I I think I, I'm a little cynical because I, I've done I, I've done some stuff in in court, and this is how. Things happen sometimes. You have the best, you have the law. I mean, they t- always tell you if you have the facts, you argue the facts. If you have the law, you argue the law. If you don't have either, you just kind of wing it. And sometimes that'll that'll work, be good enough. And I have been 
in situations where I've had both the facts and the law and still lose. And and in this situation, obviously, these attorneys are very good and, and far more more uh, more educated on this particular case than we all are, even though we all like study it and look it up. But I think the the issue for those that are concerned about how this is going to pan out is is the thing is that they can put both sides are putting on their best face as to how they want to spin this this case to come to the result that they want. And it's a matter of persuasion for them to persuade Judge Bulware how it's going to work out. Now, at this point, obviously, you could say uh, plaintiffs are doing well because they had class certified. The, the uh, I believe it, Paul, at the last uh, hearing, it looked like everything looked like they were pushing ahead toward the trial date. So that's, I mean, I think that's a cynical way, a lawyer looking way of how this is going to work out. Now, you could argue, well, you know, Jason, they, you know, that Daubert thing, you know, it's more scientific. Well, I heard that this Paul Gift didn't like this, this uh, regression analysis. And the problem, the thing is, when it gets down to it, it's going to be when you get into that courtroom, how, what, what evidence are they allowed in? One, two. Uh, how you, you how are these people going to be? How is that evidence going to be presented? How's the testimony going to be presented? What's the cross examination going to look at? And who? What does the jury think? It's of the evidence presented. Which which part is more believable? That's what's going to happen. If it even gets to that point, I don't even know if it's going to go to trial. <laughs> but uh, you know, anyway, there you go. Yeah, there's a um, <laughs> there's. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot to unpack. What was it? You you mentioned me just a second ago. Um, and I can tell you from the things that I've been to, right? We were doing a lot of it over the phone during COVID, but then I've been going recently uh, in Vegas. Um, thankfully, they keep scheduling things when I could go. Please don't change that. Bullware's clerk or whatever. Um, but, but they... Uh, basically... Every single ruling has gone against the UFC, except one. The, at the latest hearing, what did, what did the judge say? The, ju the, the plaintiffs wanted um, a trial in April and then injunctive relief, and then the John Cajun Johnson trial next year, and then injunctive relief again. And he said no to that. He, he, they're going to they're gonna have something involving injunctive relief after, if, the, if it goes to trial and if the UFC loses. But the judge basically told them, he's like, you're highly unlikely to get the relief that you're seeking. That's like literally the only thing that has gone the UFC's way since they moved to Vegas, right? In San Jose, the plaintiffs were getting ripped anew on, but that was one hearing. Uh, so now we've been in Vegas. And, and so, yeah, uh, it's, it's gone great for the plaintiffs. Like this judge loves them, absolutely loves them. Um, so it's interesting. I have a different take. Right? You're the lawyer. I'm the economist. And then John was talking to a lawyer who was talking about fake evidence. And this is like, it, it, I'm the nobody. It was no, but it was, it was, it perfectly fit this. So I don't think people appreciate what, what I'm looking at. If, if the first thing I did when we got those expert reports, I don't remember what it was when, when we, when we saw substantially the expert reports, we had versions that were heavily, heavily redacted early on. Right. But I think it was like summer of 2019 when we saw a lot of the expert reports and I just read through them. And, and that, so when I think of antitrust cases, I used to work on these things. 
they are they and, and you were saying like you know half the lawyers might go one way half the lawyers might go the other way and i'm like well what matters in these cases is what are the economists saying and then can you can you convince people but those reports are like everything i'm not saying in the trial i know that you have to convince regular people but before you even get to trial your 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 work has to be has to be fundamentally sound right you can argue over little details but but things like wage share like sometimes those are the types of things that the judge is there to say we're not we either are or aren't going to admit this so that's the importance of what of these most recent motions to exclude now it, again if I'm, a, if I'm a betting man i guess i am technically uh, uh I don't I don't know if Judge Bulwer is going to buy any of this. He hasn't bought anything so far. So what the UFC to me is doing is they're pretending there's some other judge there and they're making their best arguments possible. And they now know that there's actually probably possibly a decent chance that they'll go to trial and lose. Um, and they're sort of papering the record, setting the record for their appeal afterwards. Um, but then but the reason that I still am, am negative on this case from a from a plaintiff's perspective is I'm looking at what the economists are doing and man, how singers work is God awful. It is not good. It is not fundamentally sound. This wage share stuff, the fact that when you win your fight, it doesn't increase your pay. The fact that he never went in, he doesn't go in. He just sort of says, all right, I'm assuming that 30 months contracts are exclusionary and and I'm um, showing this foreclosure rate goes up and wage share goes down, but I didn't actually do any analysis to see, you know, how many fighters are available every year. I'm available to bid for other promoters. I don't do an analysis to see what, you know, what is actually being kept from other promoters. When I would work on cases, we would do that. We'd be like, okay, these exclusive contracts locked up this much, but this much is available every year. This enough to go down your cost curve and be an efficient competitor. We would do those things. That's not in there. Um, and then the most recent one, adding in cost information that's annualized instead of at an event level when you have event level cost information, like that's unforgivable. Uh, so there's just things when you look at it, I don't want to get too much into details. I know you guys don't care that much or people listening probably don't care that much, but when someone sits down with a close eye and looks at these things, and it might be on appeal, that that is the important issue that's going to be at play in this case. Can you convince a jury of regular people of this stuff? That's the hard part, right? How do you convince them? The 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 things that stand out is like winning your fight doesn't increase your pay. That's something that a regular person can understand. But things like regressions, they don't they don't get that stuff. Things like you revenue weighted on both sides, so you have a mechanical relationship. They don't get that stuff, right? But well-trained judges do. And so what I've learned is that Judge Bulware claims that he's trained in economics and statistics. And like the fact that he's not questioning any of it shows me he doesn't know anything. Uh, so, I mean, he, he, could, he could disagree, but he doesn't even question, really. It, it's, it's crazy. Um, so that that's the part that I'm seeing, and that's why I'm so negative. So that that's my two cents that I'll throw in there. When I read the motion to exclude Hal Singer, it is a very, very strong motion. I still think it's more likely than not that it loses because the person judging it is, well, like Jason said, Judge Bulware's clerk. <laughs> or or wait, Bulware, and then the clerk is just writing it up <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so, so that's my perspective. If I looked at Hal Singer's report and it was really well done, I would be singing a completely different tune. But that's not what I see. 
All right. So, John, we've had these new things of summary judgment and motion to exclude come out. What we can jump into some of the things we've learned, right? And and you've been on like leading the charge on that. But what were the some of the big uh, takeaways that you had and and from these more recent uh, developments? Well, I mean, one thing is the judge has already indicated how he's probably going to rule on a lot of this stuff. So they're either laying the groundwork or because they're getting paid no matter what they got to produce content. They have to produce material because they're under, you know, they're the, the, unlike the plaintiff's attorneys who are doing this until they're waiting for a result, the, the UFC attorneys get paid no matter what they are on a salary basically. So that's the benefit. They are probably just cranking out anything possible, throwing it against the wall. They don't care because they're, they're getting paid. They're like, let's just keep throwing out one possibility is they're slaying the groundwork for uh uh, future appeals because they're not competent. One is they're just hoping against hope that uh, the judge agrees with them. The other one is, hey, you know what? Why don't we just make the plaintiffs work their ass off? Because you know what? <laughs> We're getting paid. They're not. Let's just make their life miserable by doing this. There's all these possibilities. So that's that's one. Uh, there a, a lot of their, you know, I, I don't think that like their their case to reopen was kind of weak and stuff. But what's interesting is they refiled a lot of their um uh, their exhibits now, these exhibits, the evidence, they un, uh, unsealed them. It's also interesting, Zimbalis's, I look at the Zimbalis's completely unsealed now. And what struck me as I missed it is I posted sections of it. Holy crap, that is identical to what I wrote from 2014 to 2000. I mean, literally, there are sections straight from whatever. Now, I don't think he stole from me at all. I think it's the reverse. <laughs> I was reading a lot of his stuff before that. That's where I got the idea about, you know, like how like free agency is much more important than union and stuff. But it is hilarious that I had taken Zimbal and stuff about baseball and other sports. I had used it for a lot of my comments on Bloody Elbow, a lot of my articles. And then we get to his expert report that came out years after my articles. I'm leaving. That is almost take that that is almost exactly what I said in my article about like the Ali Act and stuff. Again, I don't think he, he brought from me at all. I think in a weird way, I brought from him previously on his other work. But I just thought that was that was somewhat. I just was thought that was noteworthy. Uh, if you go to his computer, he has your all your articles bookmarked. Just he like. does. I don't think he's that guy. <laughs> I remember with the we were there at the hearing, and I bumped into him, and I, I wanted to talk about his baseball stuff. He had he had no clue who it was. I can I can guarantee sure that. sure. I can guarantee he has absolutely no clue. That man, I think that that guy has no interest in this case even by the fact because he has so much other stuff. He does. He's old. you know and inside he was thinking Akul Akul. It's John Ash. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's probably thinking, oh, it's John Nash from Beautiful Mind. Yes. But besides that, uh, it, there was actually a lot of cool stuff that came out that would have been a lot cooler if it was unsealed three, four, five years ago. It would have been a lot cooler in the past. But uh, there was, we've got, now we have like complete data on like the fighter pay uh not just fighter pay on their what they got per bout and not fight just fighter pay on their like what they got on their uh show and wins but their pay-per-view bonuses their discretionary bonuses all that stuff we got their yeah they got uh, their I'll, I'll, real, real i'll just stress that to everyone really quick real money their actual final yes. pay all and of not, it and not just i mean like identity stuff what they got for merchandise what they get for insurance what's paid by the ufc for insurance what's paid for the rebot you know all these other benefits they call it that they got uh, are included. We, we just got a bunch of that. We got what the owners, what they got. I mean, some of it we knew before, but now we got concrete numbers. We also got Bellator's finances from 2010 to 2017. Um, so it's just a lot of stuff that we didn't have before. We also have the emails 
which Paul, I mean, which Jason noted had come out earlier. It's funny that this stuff had come out before all this stuff. A lot of it had hints of it had come out before and no one cared, um, uh, you know, about the, the release before, but now it makes a bigger splash. Although the emails, I will say what's interesting. It's we had the excerpts before, but now we have basically the full email chain. So we have a little more context about what some of the conversations were, which makes it interesting. But as Jason said no, earlier too, he's like, a lot of this is nothing bigger. It is strange that now we get the email about the pride purchase. And we had before we had an unsealed document that basically described what that email was, but yet they couldn't release the email, even though that description, that, that document that described what the email it spelled it all out. There's not really a surprise. Like why is this sealed when you have a die, when you, <laughs> when you release something that tells exactly exp- describes the email, I just, a lot of weird stuff was sealed, but, uh, it's you know now we got tons of stuff that's out in fact it's it's all coming out so fast i think it's just going by people's head a lot of it and you know and people it's a lot of it's old news to a lot of new fans i think have you gotten like what feedback have you gotten from fighters or managers on that job Uh, a a few fighters and managers have reached out to me not a ton but a a bunch have it's weird because uh ant evans uh former ufc guy was complaining that uh, we released this fighter pay um, which was an invasion of privacy and that at least two fighters reached out to him complaining. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for, I did, my purpose was not, uh, in fact, there was a lot of lower end fighters that we didn't release their payouts. We stuck mostly to championship and kind of headliners and stuff, but, um, uh, but a bunch of fighters reached out to me and a bunch of fighters shared their purses so I could find out who on the list is who, so I can take them out and, you know, track down other fighters. And they, they were more than willing to, you know, they didn't want them the UFC to know that they've been speaking to us, but they, they were willing to like, give us their, their information and let us, you know, post the amounts that they had made and stuff like that. So, um, but, uh, it's weird because several fighters and managers have reached out and found this very interesting, the, the stuff that's come out, but I wouldn't say it does seem still like it's a small percentage of the fighters. Hmm. So, which is, you know, it's, so, I, it's just a it's a weird observation. I think the newer guys, this is the way the world works, and they're just so used to it that it's not a it's not that big a deal. The younger guys. So there's two things that I, I thought were interesting with the emails, and that's Joe Silva's negotiation over the email. You would think that somebody would have told them, listen, don't send these numbers via email. Just call the manager and tell them what it is. And if they agree to it, then you could put it and confirm in the email. Don't just send all the shit via. I mean, this is the world like uh, th- that we are in now. And a, a lot of stuff like um, a lot of stuff should not be written down. Like this is like this is, this, old... is, this is post FTC investigation, too. Yeah. So yeah. you knew exactly. that the possibility that this could come up again or something was there. Exactly. Especially, yeah, especially the, you know, it's like a lot of this stuff you had, I mean, like I know for a fact, working in a law firm, a lot of times when you get the call, can you come to my office? It's a, it's going to be something that is very top secret because you can't say it over the emails. So, I mean, that's, those are, I mean, so that's what I thought was really odd 
that when you see Joe Silver or whoever talking and then they, they email freely and back and forth, like these things weren't going to be preserved in any any sort of fashion. I mean, people need to, I mean, as a lawyer, it, you need to know not when when to put stuff down and when not to put memorialize stuff like that. Like when they when they talk, I mean, Joe Silva's going in about in on why people can't uh, can't do the can't why he can't give an extra thousand bucks to whoever Marvin, Martin Campman or whoever. It's so odd that they would write stuff down on in in, in uh, like stuff that could be uh, captured. It's just it's just so odd. Um, the other thing that I thought, um, oh, just with respect to. Uh, how revealing the information is. Well, guess what? I mean, I hate to break it to who to the the fighters, but you know, when you signed the contract, the UFC had that information, and it, it's it 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 became uh, a part of the discovery when when you uh, when when the lawsuit was filed. So these fighters, if they found the, the information, so. Uh, uh, invasion of privacy, they could have gone down to the courthouse and told the judge, I don't want this information to be disclosed. And uh, I guess we could all figure out how that would go. So I'll be blackmailed. What's that? <laughs> I'll be blackmailed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really mean, quick, the real invasion of privacy is when they post court documents with fighters' social security numbers on them. Well, that's that the is privacy. That yeah. that's actually a, a, a big issue. That could that yeah. you know that that's really and good. that happened in this case if you're for people listening. And, and so obviously, and then well, the, the problem is it's the same thing that happens with with uh, you know when there's uh, hacks and stuff like that. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. sorry guys, sorry guys, we got your uh, social security number and all the information. Sorry guys, but I mean, obviously, it's not. It wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't the intent of anyone to disclose that information. But also, you know, in professional sports, they disclose the 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 salaries of baseball players. Football players, NBA players, down to the guy who's on the practice squad. They, and we all know how much they make. So, I mean, it's it's a part of uh, of the business. And if you don't want to be in the business, you don't have to. And I, I'm going to compliment on all of us because if I remember, we're basically the only people that probably downloaded those filings that had the social security numbers in them. From the, if I remember right, Zufa's. I did not. Attorneys, so please don't go. Zufa's after me. attorneys accidentally posted that they didn't reject them. We, we, I think Paul might have saw some. One of us saw it. So I think Paul saw it, or someone saw it, me. brought it up, and then, and and then we got contacted to delete, and we deleted those. We're the only people outside the attorneys that had that. We deleted them. We deleted oh, them. I did not have it, so please yeah. don't go after so me. So we did. No, they they asked us to delete. Them. Slow remember, on the draw, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> if, if, I, if I remember, was it the court or someone or the Zufa or someone sent us emails asking us to please delete any files? Oh, wait yeah. a minute. I did get that. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember who it was. <laughs> yeah, someone did. I don't remember. Someone who. asked us and we deleted. So I'm just saying, listen, we are, look how good we are. We delete that. When we then are there was one other one, there was one other one where it was like a redacted document that you could highlight and copy yes, paste was, the text out. They, they, they that, was when, the, that was when the UFC came after me and, yeah. and, 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 and Nate, right? Uh, well, I don't know if we're yeah. supposed to share that stuff. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But it, it's uh it was if I remember right, it was a bad Adobe premiere thing where they yeah. used the wrong one. So it was oh. just sitting there on top of the document, but it wasn't like they didn't make a separate PDF so you could delete it or oh. right. so desktop tools. Yeah, so yeah, modernity's killing so many people. They're just like, holy crap, <laughs> this is not the way it working the way I thought it would. Uh but uh yeah, it's uh I mean for people falling at home, it's 
I mean, you got to, at this point, I think we're, we're pretty much, it seems guaranteed to be heading into trial in April. I, I don't think the, does anyone here think the motion of summary judgment is going to go in the plaintiff's favor, the defendant's favor? Um, well, again, I've already shared that I think things like the motion to exclude and the motion in summary judgment are strong, but I don't think Judge Bulware is going to agree. Okay. So we get, so I think we'll have a trial and so it'll be the appeal process. So set, I mean, we still got to wait. You don't know what the jury is going to do, but it's, there's, it's just, there's so, that's the thing is I, at some time you think. I, I have no inkling. I mean, maybe behind the scenes, there's a lot of negotiating back and forth, but you would just assume based on the, um, the potential risk involved that, uh, that there'd be some sort of settlement talk that the, the idea that, Oh, we're not settling no matter what, man, it does. I mean, I don't care if you think you're in the right or not, that's still a massive amount of damages floating over your head. that could go against you. I, I so. think that there, there is a requirement for them to at least try a settlement conference it doesn't have it probably will be last an hour or so if, it, if both sides are way far apart but i think there's always a good faith to make a good faith effort and what they do is they just show up and say listen we're, we're far apart guys we're not we're not going to settle i mean at least there'll be some sort of offering i mean i think that's that's kind of what uh all courts do simply to uh facilitate judicial efficiency as well as ensure that all parties had had an option prior to entertaining trial or engaging in trial yeah and i it, it was it was interesting when he said that like that uh that why wouldn't they write certain things down or why would they write certain things down? you know you see that in a lot of i, I i'm obviously not a lawyer but i follow antitrust cases and you see it in a lot of antitrust cases you're like don't these people know not to like say that in the email does no, does no one teach them people get <laughs> like, pick up the phone it's strange there's there's that aspect. to me this case is 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 hot documents and anecdotes right and those are all in the plaintiff's favor and they look bad right uh, and then, and then, like the rigorous expert work, and no one believes me yet. But the plaintiff's expert work is not good at all. But that, but you've got those two things going on, right? And those, and and when, and those are the things like that. Bloody elbow has been writing about. It's all the the hot docs and the things that look bad, right? But something like let's take like the um, the Gilbert Melendez, right? When when there's there's one of the bloody elbow articles is on fire negotiations, and it and it kind of shows that you know there was a lot of talk back in the day before before the uh, uh, Endeavor <clears throat> purchase that the UFC was basically kind of like a small family office, right? And and like what those texts with Dana and we already knew a lot of them anyway, but yeah, we're seeing the full context now, but we got a lot of it before. But to me, it like. It just shows that, like, in that small family office, it was, like, this, like, bro culture with text, like, dude, bro, dude, fucking uh, uh, badass, right? I don't remember what were, what were the words that he was saying. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I was at, yeah, I, I know. Um... I have it right here. <laughs> oh, you got it. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah. Fucking badass. I fucking love you to death. Uh, take these fuckers oxygen, that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of things that look bad. 
But I just wanted people to appreciate the the other side of it is on the sort of economic side of it, the rigorous modeling side of it. What that is, is it's literally one one fighter who the UFC, uh, uh, who had signed with Bellator and the UFC had matching rights. And they while they didn't technically match, right, they ended up negotiating a deal that I think the media ended up calling a match. Um, but that's what it was. It, so there's the things that look bad like that, but that was literally an example of one fighter that the UFC exercised their contractual rights to, I'm going to say match, right? And, and so that's the two sides of this case that people who are listening need to appreciate. That's all I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to illustrate here. The, the, the text and things, the ways people talk that look bad, and then the actual data of it, which is how many fighters are coming available every year, how many are available for competing promoters to bid on. This was one example of Gilbert Melendez who got a bid, but then the UFC matched it. So that's kind of the dynamic that's at play here. Well, I'm going to say one thing, though. Uh, two, two things, really, actually. The first is... Uh, a lot of people will say like these emails, that's just how hardcore, that's just business, business, tough business. But what the evidence, the plaintiffs are going to show is it's yes. Uh, a lot of businesses could do that and that prove nothing. But if the allegation is that you have market power, do these emails reinforce the idea that either you're doing this intentionally to in- attain market power, or you're doing it intentionally to maintain your market power so the, 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 as a storyline, these emails could play a part in the sense that they show the UFC engaging behavior like this is what you'd expect of a, a market power that wanted to attain their market power. Let's deny uh, someone else an asset. Uh, the math is going to play a part. But now you have the now you have the part that it's not like it's a na- if you can show that they have market power, you can say, well, this is not a natural market power because these guys have behaved in a way that allowed them to attain market power uh, legally. So it, it plays a part. That's more to the people that think that these are, these emails are, you know, they're nothing because all businesses act way. Yeah. Most businesses for most businesses wouldn't be a deal, but this potentially shows the storyline for the, the plaintiffs that this is behavior that is, uh, is the type of behavior you'd assume that someone's trying to abuse their market power to engage in. So. Yeah. It doesn't look good to a jury. And especially when you're going to show them that like Lorenzo Fertitta before the sale had what, uh, uh, 500 million and change in distributions and Dana White over a hundred million. This was before the sale. Hey, uh, when you see that kind of stuff combined with those sorts of texts and your, and your audience is a jury, that's the type of thing that doesn't play well. Yeah. I mean, we had this whole conversation over dinner, me and Paul, the other day, <laughs> my, my whole point too, is I, 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 the regression, I don't even give a shit about the regressions. I'd throw, I, I think that whole <laughs> stuff is nonsense. And I'd go with the yardstick of boxing, which Zimbalis did. And I would stick with that, but that's a whole different because we don't do that anymore. There's no, there's no <laughs> and I was thing. reiterating to John, how important, how dramatically important that regression is <laughs> that yeah, for this case, but regressions so many regressions are nonsense. So many are nonsense. It's well, uh, right. That's what you can do. You can make not now. Now. Okay. That, just let me indulge me for one second here. Cause the, the, the way that I see how singers work, I'm, I'm not claiming this to be true. I'm saying the way that I see it is he's sitting back there running regressions and he keeps running them. He's like, God damn it. That doesn't work. God damn it. That doesn't work. God damn. How am I going to find something that works? And he finds something that works to get the narrative that he wants. 
That's the way I see it happening because he does things. Everything is in such an unorthodox and, and non-fundamentally sound way. It's like he was trying to find. So that's what registered with me, John, when you said fake evidence. Right? It's like he, he, in my opinion, he is trying to find something that he could show to a judge and hopefully get a judge that wouldn't be that rigorous on him. And hopefully you can then go to a jury and then they are much easier to convince. Right. Because they don't know this stuff. Um, so that that's the way I see what's happening in this case so far. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I just think I think it'd be a, if you focused on the top end and use the boxing yardstick, I think it's a slam dunk. But that's not the model they use. But I think we talked about before the bizarre way by using a model that probably expands the damages to people that I personally don't think were damaged. Uh, it, the, if there's damages awarded, it's funny that the bottom guys will get money out of this where yeah if you've truthfully if you looked at where i think it's the damages are it's the top 15 guys the headliners the true headliners the true paper jaws and the and the guys with rankings all of them and no one else is basically in, in my world are the are the damaged people by the uh the model but that's that's the thing that me and john were talking about at dinner we, we pretty much both <laughs> what a lame dinner people you, if you, everybody want to know what, how lame it is dinner is with us it's that's it right there <laughs> what a lame ass only would have been lamer if jason was there drinking hennessy's in the background and that's it well even um, if you are if, if you are like if you're making all your monopsony money off the backs of headline fighters then you just want to get as many new fighters in as you can and you're either you'd be willing to overpay them and then you make your money off the ones that blow up. That would be the way you would do it. That, that's uh, kind of what they're doing, if you think about it. If you, if you look at the UFC model, and this is the weird thing. If you look at the UFC model, the people that are damaged are probably like the top two, three fights on a card. And they're probably making, if you compare it to boxing model, where like the bottom 16 fight boxers on a card don't make much, but the top three guys make a lot. In comparison, the UFC guys are making probably like, like a quarter as much as those boxers are. In fact, we know because the boxers are making like 66% of the revenue, according to the analysis. You go to the UFC, though, the bottom 16 fighters in the card are making three, four, five times as much as the boxing undercard. So in a weird way, you could say the model is the UFC is paying the bottom guys three, four, five times as much as they'd pay in boxing, which adds costs. But they're paying the guys that bring in 80% of the revenue one fourth. Well, if the bottom guys in the UFC card make uh, combine make two million dollars, and you're paying them or five hundred thousand in boxing, you pay them four times as much. You pay them two million, but the top guys in boxing are getting eight million, and you're paying them one fourth, two million. Well, suddenly, you know, you're eight point five. You're paying them four million total compared to eight point five in boxing. You're you're cutting your costs down dramatically. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, 
the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA depressed us.